Good morning, everyone. Welcome. If this is your first time here, I, I do, just before I start, I, I'm going to talk about Adam at the very end because I, I want us to clearly articulate something is that, and I'm just going to say it now so that I remember to say it at the end as well, is that he's not a genie. He's not coming to give you a special word and change everything, but there is a clear picture as to why we're bringing him. I just want to make that clear because I sometimes I think with the prophetic we can we can get excited that he's coming to just give me a word that's going to get me out. But it's bigger than that. That may happen, and I'm sure that will happen, but it's bigger than that of what he's coming to do. Another thing is, this guy's well done. David, I know Jess just said it. I just want to say it again, is that we, that money was raised in, there was, we have what we're calling a COVID congregation at the moment because we seem to be swapping like one people in one week and the next people in next week. And you guys are just, we're sort of just tagging around as to who's got it and who doesn't have it. So I'm glad you're all healthy. And please, if you do get it or a family member's got it and you need help, please tell us. We can get food. We can support each other in this. But there was quite a few people away last week, and I know some of you are going to have wanted to contribute, but we were able to do that in one Sunday. We asked, and you guys showed that's not That's not community that's put a roof over that's fixed the water coming into the the orphanage in Sri Lanka. That's we we didn't stamp community on that. We did that as a people. Right? We did that together. It's not Ben and Jess. Well done. Congratulations. You did this. No, all of us did that. We all chipped in. We all played our part. And David is ecstatic that he asked if we could fix a small hole that was letting lots of water in, and we were able to replace the whole roof because it looked awful. Well done. Easily. We, we, a very small church on the Gold Coast did that easily. So well done. I want to start this morning. I, I, for those of you who have heard it or who, who were here last week, I, I brought a sermon last week that was quite challenging and that God put on my heart. And I asked some guys to go and listen to it. And quite a few people that we walk with have listened to it. And it, it, was, a, it was a good return as to what people had heard. But there was also some challenge, quite a few... Of, of you guys and a few others who have heard it have asked me a lot of questions around that sermon, which is fantastic. I don't want to stand up here and claim to have all the answers. That's not why we, we, we preach from the pulpit. The reason is to start a bigger conversation. The hope is that God can reveal something through the scriptures that can be presented from here that they can then go and start bigger questions. And I got to have some really cool conversations. And the hope was a, a few people have asked, hey, why didn't you go into Romans 8? rain we haven't heard that in a while (laughs) classic (laughs) Uh, I distracted myself Um, someone asked why we haven't gone to the Romans 8 and um, hey Louis sorry can you pull it back a smidge Louis can you just pull my mic back a smidge so I feel like I'm yelling um Someone asked me why we haven't gone into to Romans 8. And my, my expression was, I'm, that's the plan, is to go into Romans 8. But my hope is, is that, that all of you guys did. That when we present a, a verse from here, don't just wait, we'll hope Ben does the next part next week. Start that journey. I hope for a lot of you, you've already read through Romans 8. You've started looking for the answer in the questions that I posed through last week and the questions that would have started to have come up. And I think that there's a, there's a challenge in that during the week, I was listening to a, a sermon, a snippet of a sermon, and the guy I was preaching said something that right off the bat, I was like, oh, that's really powerful. 
And I kind of paused the sermon just to sit there and have a little ponder on what he had said. And as I started to think through it some more, I started realizing, actually, no, that's not powerful. That's actually the opposite. It's almost heretical. But my original take was, that's really powerful. So I thought, well, I'm going to do a little social experiment. So I called Kayla into the office, and I didn't show her who it was. I said, just listen to this snippet for me. And she listened to this probably two-minute snippet, and she said, wow, that's really powerful. And I said to her, yeah, but let's just think about it some more. And we had a little bit of a discussion. And halfway through the discussion, she said to me, actually, that's not really powerful. I said, right? It's almost heretical. And then I thought, well, I'm going to take this social experiment just a little bit further. And I sent it to Paul, Paul Tottio. And I rang Paul and I said, hey, what do you think of that? What do you think of that? And he said to me, bro, it's really powerful. And I said, right, can we discuss it though? And as we started to discuss it, halfway through, he said, actually, bless you. That's not really powerful. In actual fact, it's almost heretical. And my point is, and it doesn't matter who the preacher was or what the point was, the point is is that sometimes we hear things from pulpits, from Facebook messages, from friends, from posts, from small snippet videos, and on its surface value, we grab it and we go, wow, that's really awesome. I'm going to apply it to myself. We don't take the time to process it, to think it through, or to take the scripture and actually go, Lord, do you actually say this? And one of the things that I've said many a time from this barrel is please don't just take everything that I say for granted. Don't just take it and say, well, Ben said. Because this, this, I heard it called a library during the week. I thought that's fantastic. This library or this compass is where we say, God, did you really say that? Here's a, here's a thought. We baptize via dunking in water. Well, Ben believes that or this person believes that, or that person believes that. But Lord, what, what, how do I see that in here? And the point of this exercise was, as I thought, wow, there was so many people, and, and I, I had a little moment in the comments section, and I realized that what people were starting to say in the comments was, no, that's not God. That's not the reality of the scriptures that I read. And I'm not here to call out any church or ministry. What I'm here to say is, God, guys, I'm, I'm going to get it wrong. Dave's going to get it wrong. Sean's going to get it wrong. Jess is going to get it wrong. But the failsafe is that we are trying and attempting to see the world through God's lens. And it's your job as a disciple of Christ, as am I, to ensure that what God is saying, he's saying it to you. Now, that doesn't mean there's, there's not authority in the church. That doesn't mean that there's not clear guidance and people called to particular areas. But what it means is that we have a duty of care to the word of God for our own walk. It's my faith as it is your faith. So we actually have to learn how to articulate this. Actually have to learn. I've heard so many people say, I struggle to read the Bible because it just makes no sense. It makes no sense sometimes. For me, it, I read it, I'm like, what in the world do you mean? He laid on his side for that long and did what? And then you read it again and you read it again and you read it again. And then one day, for me, often you're standing in the shower and you're like, I get it. I get it. Jess, I get it. Right, it clicks. It makes sense. And then I go back to the scripture and it becomes enlightened. I start to write, even if it's not to anybody, Lord, I understand what you're saying. So when I hear a sermon now and I hear something, I go, ooh, that's fire. As the kids say. 
Oh, I'll repost it. And someone says, that's, that's heretical. Yeah, because you didn't take the time to actually process it, think it, look at it in the scripture, see what they're saying. What is he really saying? God, what are you saying? Actually, wow, that is powerful. What we tend to do is find a celebrity pastor that we enjoy and go, everything he says is right. Not even Paul took that stance to say, listen to me, everything I say is right. So the point for this is I, I want us to be a people who actually hold this in high esteem to say, Ben, I heard what you said. I went back to the scriptures. Man, can I challenge you on something? Yeah, let's discuss it. Why? Because that keeps the conversation of God alive. Now we spend hours in something and then we get to the end and I have to go, you're right. I was wrong. Let me go and tell the people. Or the other side is, hey, Ben, I, tr- I-, I thought you were wrong, but I saw something that I've never seen before. That's discipleship. Now we both get to grow. Now we both get to be enlightened by Scripture. And we've both just spent three hours discussing Yahweh God. What a, not a better place we could be. Last week, I, I used two words that I interchanged incorrectly often. And I thought Dames was going to pull me up. Where's Dames? I thought Dames was going to pull me up for sure. Adversary and adversity, they're different things. Okay, an adversary is a is a a one that contends with or opposes. We all have an adversary, right? The scriptures uses different ways to to define the adversary, which is the enemy, right? Satan, whichever you want to, the demonic realm, whichever is a is a force that's coming against us. But in our life, we will be challenged with adversary, which is uh, sorry with, with adversity, which is a difficult situation or a condition. Sometimes that's caused by the enemy. Sometimes that's caused by our own stupidity. We will face challenges and trials. And we have to uh, uh, understand the difference between whether that's the enemy coming at us or whether it's our own silly decision that we made. But I just wanted to clear that up because it's, it's, listening back, I was getting frustrated at myself for for getting it wrong. I thought, Dames, he was going to yell at me for sure. No, he's a nice guy back there, fellas. But the challenge I brought last week in Romans 7 is that we are in the fight of our life and we are in a, a, a battleground, if you will, fighting to see the kingdom come. That There is a, a force, an enemy that is pulling against us. Everything that we do in this Christian walk is, is light or darkness, right? Is this, this wrestle between us as Christians being caught in the middle, in the gray area, or being caught in, in darkness or in light. And it's this, this toing and froing. And it, I think what we need to do as a people is actually learn how to grow into this. That as disciples, as learners of Christ, we are every day renewing our mind, like we've been saying, to to understand how to operate in the light, not operate in darkness. And I think last week I, I threw out some some large challenges to in in way to get us to to grow and to stretch ourselves. I say often I don't just want to give the pat on the back. I want to I take you somewhere further because I want to go somewhere further. When I wake up, I say, God, help me. Help me to see your kingdom come because his kingdom, like I said last week, is counterculture to the kingdom of the world. So it's going to be uncomfortable to start. But once we become more, more ingrained in who he is, his kingdom becomes more comfortable than the kingdom of the world. But it's this constant wrestle, right? It's this constant uh, uh, pull against each other. If you've got a Bible, go to Romans 8 for me. We'll just, I want to go pretty much line for line in Romans 8.
There is a lot in this. There's a lot here. I'm not going to cover it all. And even the things that I do cover, I'm going to leave large gaps of things that could be said. We could stay in Romans 8 for the next five years. In actual fact, if we only got given Romans 8, we could spend our lifetime navigating this, this book, navigating this chapter even. But Romans 8 starts with this. There is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Right. So coming from that, the sermon that I did last week, I need you to understand that there is no condemnation. If you are in this room and you are saved, hidden in Christ, there is no more condemnation. It's not about if I be a bad boy or a bad girl, I may not make it to heaven. That's what it means for there to be no more condemnation. God is not seeing your life as a measuring stick to get you in or out of heaven. Right? There is no more condemnation. So we have to understand that when, when Paul goes on into this verse, because he makes some big challenging statements in this verse, but it's all, it's all written on the fact that remembering there is no more condemnation. In Christ Jesus. If I stuff up, God is not this angry God who's looking at me and in fire and anger because I've done the wrong thing. It's not about a list of goods and bads, of do's and don'ts. That's not the way God's seen it. When we become hidden in Christ, He says there is no more condemnation. I will not condemn you for the things that you've done. I will not weigh the way you live as to whether you perish or come into eternal life. That's what He's saying. There is no more condemnation. But the other thing that's interesting in this opening verse is he says there in, chapter, in, in verse 2, For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. He uses the word law in both a positive and a negative connotation. So in this verse, we understand that the law is a good thing and it's a bad thing. So from this understanding, it's... it's a bad way to explain it when we say, well, we don't want the law. In this instance, we do want the law. We want the law of, of the spirit of life because that's what sets us free. So we have to understand that just saying, well, we don't want the law. No, we want the law of the spirit of life, the Holy Spirit. The laws by which he operates are the laws by which govern my life. But what we don't want, which is the removal of, of the old, is to come under the law of sin and death or the law of the flesh, right? Jesus, uh, God gave in the beginning, he gave a set of laws and, the, and mankind, Israel, added to those rules. But what this is saying right here is that there is the law of the spirit of life that has set you free. So we have to understand that there is an understanding that there is a way that God operates spiritual laws that take place, i.e. Um, sowing and reaping is a positive spiritual principle. Right? We use the word principle because the, the word law scares us a little bit. But it's a, it's a spiritual law that God has said, when you operate in my kingdom, this is what it looks like in that kingdom. There are ways in which we can operate in God that say, Lord, when I do this, this is the positive thing that returns unto me. This is the, the thing that one plus one equals two in your kingdom that there is an understanding of the, the law of the freedom of God but he uses the word law. Why is it important? Because it, it, be, it becomes important as he moves forward. 
We have to articulate what we mean by this. It is not the law as in good boy, bad boy Christianity. Follow the rules. The law of the spirit of life brings exactly that, life and freedom in him. So if we're operating in our life and we're seeing bondage and depression, anxiety, we're not operating then in those areas from the, from the spirit and freedom of God. So the question to, to last week's sermon is, well, how do, I, how do I get out of the place that I'm in? How do I live the life you were, you were challenging us into? Right here it says that we have to choose to operate from the freedom of the Spirit of God. That when the Holy Spirit moves in our life, what we've tended to do in the, especially the, the Western contemporary church, is that we've made the move of the Holy Spirit about signs and wonders. We've made it, gold dust and tinkles or tears and, and shutters. I don't know what a tinkle is, but I was like seeing like tinkling from the ceiling. I don't know. Or it's a feeling, a tinkle. I feel a bit tinkled. A tingle. <laughs> but what we've done in this is that we've made it something that God is saying, no, I am the spirit of life. In John, Jesus says that when the helper comes whom I am sent to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. That when the Spirit of God is moving in our life, the freedom spirit of, of the Holy Spirit, it's Jesus that gets revealed in those areas of our life. It's not just about the things that we feel and the, and the moment, but it's that we start to see Christ revealed in our life. So when it's the law of freedom that's moving, it's not a negative thing. It's a positive thing to say I'm operating within the boundaries and the rules that God has placed in my life, which actually brings freedom. So what tends to happen is we get a bit uptight about clean hands and pure hearts. Or we get a bit uptight about living a life of righteousness because we say, no, that's the law you've put on me. No, clean hands and pure hearts, righteousness brings freedom. Why? Because it's set into the law of the spirit of life. So when I live in that place, my life is governed by freedom. But if I'm to operate in the law of the, of the world, it brings condemnation and it brings suffering, pain, and, and all the things that come from the world. So what we have to start to do as a people is remove this negative understanding of the, of the law of the spirit of truth because there's things in it that will help our lives. Righteousness will help you, not hinder you. Clean hands and pure hearts will help you, not hinder you. That that's the way God actually designed our life before us. He continues on in, in, in verse 3. He says, For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do, by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. The old law which God had given and then mankind, the flesh, weakened, couldn't bring us back into relationship with the Father. What was set up and weakened by mankind could not bring us back into relationship with the Father. The goal for, for, for God to enter into the life of mankind after the garden was to bring us back into a right standing relationship with the Father to bring us back into Eden or back into the fullness of the love of God. And the old law couldn't do that. Therefore, Jesus, who came as the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, put the condemnation where it belonged, on sin. 
There is condemnation. It was on the sin that Jesus came and died to remove. He came so that sin could be put back in the place in which it belonged. And that we, his people who choose to live in him, could live in freedom. I don't know how many people I've asked who have come from a, a checkered past or, a, or a, a, a troubled life when they become uh, Christians. The question I always like to ask is, how has it changed? And they always talk about the peace of mind that they have. And I know Sven and I have had lots of conversations that every, every person lays their head down at night and closes their eyes. Before they go to sleep, there's that either wrecking silence or beautiful, peaceful silence. It doesn't matter whether you are the toughest guy in the world. When you go to bed at night and you close your eyes, you have to deal with that place of silence. And you're not tough in that place. Whether you're the best golfer, cricket player, speaker, writer, president, prime minister, we all have that moment where our head rests on whatever it is we rest our head on and we close our eyes and there's that moment, who am I really? I talked a big game in those meetings and I put up a big front, but right there we have to actually deal with the reality of life. We have to deal with who we really are. And when, we, when you enter that threshold into Christ, there is a peaceful moment to say, I know who I am. I know that I am in him and he is in me. He continues on in in. In verse 4, he says, In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. There was a requirement in the original law that man must be righteous. They had to operate in that clean hands and pure hearts in order to come into the presence of God. That's why the, the high priest would wash himself. He would cleanse himself. He would do a list of rituals before he was allowed to go into the Holy of Holies because he was, he was doing what the law required of him, which was to make himself righteous. The sacrifice was to atone for his sin so that he could meet face to face with God. But Jesus comes and he says, sons, daughters, for you, I will become that sacrifice. I will atone for the sin. I will give myself over so that you can enter righteously into the presence of Yahweh. So we no longer have to do that because we were made righteous. However, that is in our spirit man, made righteous. But it's our flesh, our soul, our mind, will and emotions that now wrestle between this link of of unrighteousness and righteousness, light and dark. So when we say, when the church stands and says, hey, you shouldn't do that. You shouldn't do those drugs. You shouldn't watch pornography. You shouldn't sleep with your partner outside of wedlock. This is not because we need you to fulfill a list of rules so that you can come into the presence of God or walk through those doors. It's because God designed a way for us to live where he says your righteousness will be the way in which you will live a fulfilled and good life. When we actually operate in what God designed us to be and how he designed us to be, there's a reality for, hey, things aren't seeming to, to be working on the path that I chose for myself. Yeah, because you chose the path. There's an easier way where the path has already been cut for you. You can put your machete down and stop swinging it in the bush with the hope to get nowhere. 
because God has designed something for us. He said, I've written a scroll for you. I've written a way, but it comes with a, a set of righteous rules that allow you to stand in the place in which you are. But if you get them wrong, don't worry, I will stand with you. The reason we don't like this understanding of, of the freedom of the law of God is that we get to the place where we go, but that's condemnation. But Paul cleaned it up from the beginning. No, as followers of Christ, if you do the wrong thing, you're not condemned by the Father. But you don't continue to walk toward the goal that he has for you. The way I see it is, is we're on a path almost that, that God has given us. And as we step out this path, as we live in how God's asking, we, we say yes to the things that he calls us to do. But when we don't do that, we kind of stop and turn and we go for a bit of a walk out here. And God says to us, we've got to go back to the path. We've got to go back. We're not going forward anymore. And what happens for a lot of us is we get caught in the, off the path, walking in circles and going, God, I don't understand why I'm not in the place you've got for me. Because you got off the path. Whenever you're ready, we can go back to the path. God is not standing as an angry father yelling at us. He's saying, we should go back to the path. We should go back. And what tends to happen, for, particularly for Christians, is we, we get caught in this cycle where I don't know where I'm going anymore. I don't know who I am anymore. I don't know what's taking place anymore. Yeah, because you stopped walking the path God gave for you. You've actually stopped operating in his kingdom because it became too hard for you because it wasn't the way you thought it was going to be. It didn't shape up to what you thought it was going to shape up. It didn't look how you dreamt about as a kid. I've said many times, I never in my wildest imagine, imagination dreamt that I would lead a church or stand in this barrel or sit in meetings and help people see through Scripture. I never, ever thought that. But that was the path I believe God gave to me. I could have kept walking. I could have stepped off the path. And I do step off the path still. And it's not a condemnation. God doesn't smack me on the wrist. He just says, we're not going forward anymore. Let's get back to where God has for us. Let's go forward again. Does that make sense? Yeah. Who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. He continues on in, in verse five. He says, for those who live according to the flesh, set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For to set the mind on flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. The reason that we feel for this year to keep coming back to this understanding of our uh, um, renewal of our mind is because Scripture is so clear about how difficult it is to get this thing right. So often, I mean, Debbie just got up and shared something that, that we've all been through. We've all heard. We all know. But when the alarm clock goes off or when we get awoken, there's this wrestle instantly in our mind. And we start asking questions that if we were to sit around in a circle and talk about God, we would never ask, is this going to be any good for me? What's the point? Why am I here? Why would I get up and pray? Why would I? Why would I? It's the same with you. I've used this analogy a hundred times. The same thing with the gym. All of a sudden, 5.30 in the morning, Ben is some sort of gym expert and can tell whether or not this is going to be helpful or not. Because I'm wrestling with myself to get out of bed. 
I'm wrestling with myself to decide what is this going to even put me in a position worthwhile. It's the same that we do with God. Over and over, we get ourselves in this position where we say, Lord, I'm wrestling with my flesh and my spirit because my spirit is the one that should lead and guide me. But oftentimes, we, we allow ourselves to be led by the flesh. Who's heard this sermon 500,000 times before? Right? We've all heard it. We've all heard spirit and flesh. Looking across this room, most to all of you have been in church a long time. Yet this is just as relevant today as it was the last time you heard it. And it was the last time. And, and I, I promise this won't be the last time. It won't be the last time that I'll read that verse and, and in, in tears say, God, I don't know how to do this. Right, that's why it's a journey that Jesus is a lantern unto our feet because this is not just an overnight thing. This is a step by step by step. We see the step before us because we don't know how else to get to where we're going. Understanding the war between our flesh and our spirit is a, a long journey. But it says right here in plain text, to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. And when you start to evaluate your life through these lenses, you start to understand, oh, flip, there was death right there. It's not death as in you'll lose your salvation. It's death as in it brings death to your mortal body, which Paul talks about in a minute, and to those things around you. When you have an argument with your partner or with your colleague or your boss at work, you start to look around and go, that argument brought death. To the situation. It brought death in my family. It brought death to my workplace. Now, what do I mean? Did someone die? No. You walk in the next time and you know that awkward, eerie feeling where you don't really want to talk to your boss or your wife sitting on the couch and you don't really say hello. You have that awkward sort of moment. That's death. That's not the fruit of the Spirit. That's not peace. So what you've actually done in living in that flesh is you've allowed that thing to reign in that place. So what you have to do is start to think through, Lord, what would have my flesh done differently to my spirit? What would have my spirit done differently to my flesh in this? And then you have to go back and hopefully one of you is more humble than the other and says, I'm so sorry, can we fix this? And what happens? Life is birthed. Life comes because you've decided to let go of my flesh. What? Well, I shouldn't have to apologize. I shouldn't have to do this. He did that. He did this. They did this thing. And what we do is we perpetuate death and death and death and death. We walk away from the friendship. We quit the job. We leave the church. We go this we and we let it just continue to spread like cancer and kill everything around us. But when God says, when, sorry, when Paul says, set your mind on the spirit realm, it's to stop and go, Lord, what does it look like from the, from the law of the spirit of truth to take place in this right now? And you know, it's a scary, that's a scary thing to ask because often, I, I want to say 10 times out of 10, God says, change your heart. Change your heart. I've never asked God, Lord, how do I break into this situation? And he said, wait there, Ben. You've done extraordinarily well. I'll change the other person's heart. And I go, whew, I'll wait, Lord, bring him over. <laughs> 10 times out of 10 in my experience, God said, Ben, change your heart. You've come at this with the flesh. That's hard because you have to humble yourself 
But can I tell you, it's vitally important. Why? Because the wages of it are life or death. The wages of it are life or death. And Paul is saying we need as a people to set our eyes on the spirit, to set our eyes on what's taking place in the heavenly realm, set our eyes on what's taking place in the realm of the kingdom because that's what we're here to advance. When we choose to live by the flesh, guess what we're choosing to do? Not advance the kingdom. We're choosing to advance darkness. But what God is saying, by the way, there's no condemnation. There's no condemnation. God loves you. Jesus loves you. You're saved, hidden in him. There's no condemnation. You can stay where you are. You can. You can continue to stay in that. And this is a challenge for us. You can stay there. But it's not as good to stay there. You can also come out. We can learn to live by the Spirit. And if all of us begin to do that, guess what starts to happen? The world starts to change. I ask people something and I, I just used it as an icebreaker when I saw people. But it's kind of become more of a question I like to ask. But when I see people, I say, hey, how are you going? Are you changing the world out there? And it's a silly take, but the reality is, is that we get to make that decision every day. I get to stand at, at the Coles check-in and I get to change the world with the check-in lady. Or yesterday when we were in the shop and it took the, the lady at City Beach to process a $15 sale t-shirt for me, about 20 minutes. And she probably apologised to me 35 times. And I had the moment right there to sow life or death. And it sounds silly. But we all keep going, well, I can't change the world. I, I work nine to five, Monday to Friday. I live on the Gold Coast. I can't do anything significant. And God says, I've given you life-changing moments every single day. And you've overlooked them. But when we wind that back and say, God, I want to live. I want to live where I operate from your spirit every day. We start to change our own lives. It starts with us. I'm angry all the time because you keep giving way to death. I'm tired all the time. I'm frustrated all the time. I'm depressed all the time. We sow these things and we circle them and circle them and circle them and we set our eyes on them. I can't do that tomorrow because I know I'm going to be tired. I can't do that tomorrow because I know I'm angry and upset. I can't achieve that because, because, because we run this list all the way out. But God is saying through Paul in this instance, set your mind on the spirit realm where you are seated in me in heavenly places and watch what I can do. Watch what I can do in you and through you. Paul continues on. He says, For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. We have the ability to be hostile to God. And that's really challenging. To me, that's really challenging because we come and we sing songs about the goodness and the glory of God. And that's amazing. And we, we, we get awe-inspired. 
that I don't ever want to have to process the fact that I could potentially be hostile toward him. But that's the wrestle that we have. And it's okay to have this wrestle. We see all, all of the New Testament writers and disciples wrestle with this. Look at Peter. I'll never deny you. I'll never be in hostility towards you. First moment he gets, operates in hostility toward God. First moment he gets. I mean, look how, many, look how many people we have to see who have to learn this lesson. It's a part of our journey as followers and disciples of Christ to learn how to not be in this. But this is the challenge the church has to start to take. God, I want to be an advocate for you. I want to be an image bearer of you. It's not just a slogan that we've put on the wall. It's not, I want to be an image bearer of you. I want to carry your image into the world. I don't want to operate in hostility. I don't want to be in a place, Lord, that, that stops the advancement of the kingdom. I want to be the advancer of the kingdom, albeit small, albeit tiny. I want to do my part, Lord, to bring your kingdom, to see it come, to see your will done. There's no condemnation. Everyone say it with me. There's no condemnation. Why is that important? Because there's an option for us to go, well, I'm not good enough. No, there's no condemnation. You are good enough. You have enough. You are enough. God called you for such a time as this. God built you and designed you. Before the foundation of the earth, he had, he had designed who you were going to be. He had outworked Dave's beautiful bald head. He shaped it. Dave, he shaped it. I might go there soon, you know, going for the board look. But he designed us in this. So when we say, Lord, well, I don't want to be condemned that, you know, that I could do, I could see more. I could, I could bring more into the place. That's not the condemning position. It's no God. I want to do that. Lord, I want to be out there. I want to be who you've asked me to be. Why? Because there's life in that and not the opposite, which is death. I want to live from a place of life, not from a place of death. Deuteronomy 13, don't have to go there. I'm just going to quickly quote it. But Deuteronomy 13 says that I've set before you blessings and curses. Life or death, choose life. I wanted to go into that whole portion of Scripture because it is incredibly challenging and encouraging all in the same notion. But it says that we get the choice before us that lays before us in every moment that we do, life or death, life in the Spirit or death in the flesh. And again, it's not a condemnation when I get it wrong. It's a time to learn and grow. I did that wrong. There are many times in mine and Jess's marriage where I've lived from the flesh. Many times. And I have to go back and apologize. I have to go back and ask for repentance. I have to go back and say, I can do it better. I can live from the Spirit. I can learn. I can grow. And I'm sure there will be many more times that I'll have to do that. But Paul continues, he, said if, he says, If Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. There are many of us in here. Is it 10 past 11? Okay, I'm sorry, I need five to ten more minutes. Is that okay? Is everyone okay with that? <laughs> I was waiting for John to give me a, come on. 
if there is brokenness in our body, if there is, 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 is things in our body that are not of Christ, if there is tiredness, anxiety, if there is, is pain, suffering, hurt, if these things are in our body, Jesus is also in us. So it says because of our spirit, because of what Christ did for our spirit, it's because of that that we can allow our body to come into that. We have to understand that, that there is a power in the way that Christ operates in us. And that allows our spirit man to be the lead and guide for our flesh, not the other way around. See, when our spirit is leading and guiding, it forces our flesh to, to come into alignment. When our spirit man is leading and guiding, it forces our flesh to come into alignment. So at times when we pray for people, we are commanding the body to come into alignment with the flesh. Uh, sorry, sorry, the, the, the flesh to come into alignment with the spirit or the body to come into alignment with the spirit. Why? Because the spirit is seated in Christ where there is no anxiety, where there is no pain and suffering, where there is no... What we have to start to do as a people, and this is the encouraging answer to last week's sermon. How do I do it? We have to understand that our spirit man is hidden in Christ Jesus. And it is our spirit man that leads us and guides us and puts to death, puts to, 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 to rest the, the, the actions of the flesh. That's when, as a people, we learn how to rise up as the church. Why? Because we're led by the kingdom of God, not by the kingdom of this age. It's in that that we actually start to align ourselves with God to align ourselves with, and it's already in our spirit, we just have to understand through the renewing of our mind that that's who we are. It's not who we're becoming, it's who we are in our spirit. Does that make sense? I wanted to go into to heirs with Christ, but there's, there's just so much that is in this verse. There's so much that, that, that Paul says in Romans 8. There's so much that he, he reveals about being sons and heirs with him. And there's so much that we have to begin to understand to change our mind because God has already done it on the cross. When we feel inadequate, when we feel powerless, and, and when we say, I can't, what we're doing subconsciously even is we're nullifying the power of the cross of Christ because he said we can. He said in me and through me Right, that we will operate in a place that, that, that sees the signs and wonders of the kingdom. It sees the revealing nature of the kingdom. But it's our mindsets that have to change. It's our processing that has to change to say, no, that's not who I am. That's who the world says I am, but that's not who I am. I am because the great I am said I am. And just with that, I want to chat through the last three minutes. I promise is next week Adam is with us. And I have questioned and, and I've spoken with Adam about it that I don't want us to be in a position where we believe that he's coming to give us the next thing that we don't already have. Already everyone in this room has all that you need to be everything God's called you to be. Adam doesn't bring something that you don't have to then give it to you, right? It's not like, well, if I could just get one moment with the holy man of God, then I would become empowered to go and do, but because I can't see the holy man, therefore I'm not empowered. That is not true. That's a lie. So then why do we have him in? The reason we have him in is because of Ephesians 
and I want to show you something in Ephesians 4.10. If you want to go there, you can, but I can just read it and you can go back and check it. We all know the verse, right? It says that he who descended is the one who also ascended for above all the heavens that he might fill all things. He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood and to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro. He gave all these gifts to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. That word equip there in the, in the Greek is the word katatismos, and it comes from the root word katatazo, right? And it means this. It means to fit, to frame, to complete, to repair, to adjust, to mend, to perfect, or to restore. So what it means there is that the gifts were given to us, the people, in order to frame or to refit or to resize or to restore so that we can go on into the work of the ministry. I believe that Adam carries the gift of a prophet from this verse, an Ephesians 4 gift. He isn't prophetic. I believe he carries the office of a prophet. So we bring him in. Why? One, because he's our friend and he's going to sit at our dining room table. He's going to eat meals with us. He's going to be a part of our life. But two, to help us fit and frame where it is God is taking us. So think about when you lay concrete. I don't lay very much concrete, probably never laid concrete. And I'm looking, going to look to John sternly here because he has laid concrete. But they put a frame, right? Wooden. Is it still wood? Or have we gone past wood now? We've got some fancy. Timber boxing. Right, when you, lay, when you lay concrete, you put a box around the concrete to make the path or the driveway, whatever it is that you're going to make. And then you pour the concrete in, and when you finish, you remove the box, right? It's not, you don't look at the end of a concrete job and go, wow, look how amazing the timber boxing is, right? It gets taken out. It's not, we don't glorify the timber boxing at the end. It's used for the purpose to lay the concrete. So when we bring Adam in, he comes as a part of that timber boxing to say, I'm going to lay something down that God's shown me in order for what he's doing to be poured in. We honor him, we respect him, but we're not bringing him because he's a fancy man of God, although he is a man of God. But he's not. Do you, do you hear what I'm saying? This is important. It's very important to me because I see that there is error at the moment in, in uh, Christian celebrity. And I think God is breaking that down. But the gift he carries, and I, he doesn't see it like that. But what he carries is he's coming to say, I care for the community. I care for your hearts. I care for what God's doing in you. I want to come and help you frame what it is God's doing. So he comes to aid us to, to lay something before that God will continue to serve. Does that make sense? Does anyone have any questions around that? If anyone want to ask anything, I'm okay to, to answer a question. No. So I want us to come next week with a heart that says, God, I want to come to honor and serve you. And Lord, I want your kingdom to come and your will be done. He will, there will be times he will give people words. I know it's the way he operates. He will outlay things. He will lay down foundations. He will prophesy. But it's so that we can go and do what God's asking us to do. All good? 
Why don't you stand, let's pray, and then we can go drink coffee and eat snacks. Father, Lord, I pray this morning, God, that this hasn't just been a whole lot of words. God, I pray, Lord, that that as we open your scriptures, as we open your word that were given to us, that this is not just a, a thing to do. It's not a job. It's not something to pass the time, Lord, that we actually are honoured to be given this word. God, that we are honoured that you would continue to speak to us. Lord, we are honoured to continue to have conversations about you. And I pray this morning, Lord, that anything that I've said that's not of you, would it fall away? But God, even in my life, would the things that were revealed here this morning begin to take shape? Lord, we need your help. God, like... Like many who have gone before us, God, we can't do this without you. Lord, we are struggling to see at times how to live in your spirit, how to not not give in to the desires of the flesh, how to live from a place that is the freedom of you. And Lord, I pray this morning that you would help us see that. God, help us go about our week not feeling condemned or judged or feeling as though we're not good enough or we're not this enough, Lord. But I pray this morning that we would go feeling empowered that your spirit is in us, Jesus, that you reside in us and we are in you. Lord, I pray that that we would go about our day remembering just who we are in you. I pray, Lord, that we would go about our life being led by our spirit, man, by your spirit, by the spirit of truth, that we would be led by that and that our flesh would fall in line with our spirit. Lord, I pray more than anything, Lord, that our lives would be pictures of you, would be glorification of you, would be worship of you. God, help us. Help us to be shining beacons, to be image bearers of you. And God, we declare who you are, the great and mighty King. Lord, we declare your kingship in this house. We declare your kingship in this city and we declare your kingship in this nation. You are the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the one in which we serve. God, we thank you. Lord, we thank you. We are grateful that we get to serve an almighty King. Jesus, we love you, we honour you, and in your beautiful name we pray. Amen. Thank you. There is coffee and tea at the back. If you have any questions, guys, ask questions with each other. Keep this conversation alive. Keep it going. Keep talking about the things of God. Wrestle through this verse. Read it. Read it with somebody else. Stay engaged in the gospel. Stay engaged in the things of God. And we will see you when we're looking at you.